Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. As usual, I'm Bradley and I'm joined by both Ben Hello. and Stu. Hey up. How are we doing guys? Good, thanks. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Excellent. So, I've had quite a busy week of games again. You guys been playing much or you still on the fighting John with Ben or something different? Oh, something very different for me this week. Um, so, I was in Budapest over the weekend and had the opportunity to go to the Budapest Pinball Museum, which I'll add a link or will add a link to the podcast uh, notes. Apparently, it's the largest interactive pinball museum in Europe. Uh, you pay around £9 to get in and then have unlimited credits on over 130 machines, including a small collection of the Bagatelles, which are the predecessor to modern pinball tables. And then the pinball collection, it dates right back to the 1930s and 40s. With some really very simple, very basic, but immensely charming machines it really is a it's set in a basement as well so it's it's kind of like a dusty archive for pinball history um although not that dusty they do keep it very clean <laughs> and i I'm, i've long held a fascination with pinball tables probably since seeing the poster for tommy which used to terrify me as a kid i just think there's something inherently cool about them um even though i'm no way you know i'm i'm in no way good at playing them i'm pretty terrible um, but you know with unlimited credits at the pinball museum that didn't really matter um just it was a really cool way to spend a couple of hours and just kind of get lost in this there, there's su- there's something something really cool about the mechanics of a pinball table yeah and just getting lost among them in what is a really impressive collection like a, a really impressive piece of gaming history i mean so random that it's just it's on a really quiet street in budapest um, and it's somewhere like, not everyone's going to get to go to Budapest, but if you ever happen to be there, I would thoroughly recommend checking it out. It's um, quite nice just taking a little bit of a step back in time. Adam's Family was my favourite. Yeah, I didn't spot that one. They had Elvira, which fascinated me for different reasons when I was a kid. Because um, of the boobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All about the boobs. Back when you was a what? 12 13 year old boy 28 29 year old man or that yeah <laughs> hell even into my 40s it's yeah. yeah um, i mean i still made a beeline for that table when i walked in so what that says about me i'm not really sure <laughs> so how did you come across that then was it just by chance or was it something you actually looked for so it was a, a stag do um in budapest and by sunday kind of had enough of sitting in pubs and yeah took the chance to just go along really glad we did because yeah one it wasn't sitting in a pub for another few hours um and yeah just i suppose it's just the the chance to go and catch up on some gaming history was something i couldn't really turn down no no, those things are built as well because they can take a beating the old pinball tables as well it's that's one thing i've always liked about it i I love digital pinball i'm I'm not gonna lie and Mm. uh like obviously the stuff that zen studios do with with um, pinball fx and back when when pinball uh, arcade had the licenses um but you still don't get that feeling of actually smacking the side of a pinball table you just can't recreate that without actually doing it properly and and given the choice like i'd, I'd love to have an arcade cabinet but given the choice between an arcade cabinet and a pinball table it would be a pinball table probably nine times out of ten um, yeah yeah, no, that sounds that sounds really cool. You uh, you got any pinball experience, Joe, or 
like something or you more digital i absolutely love them the machines just as you were saying the the tactility of them and the the fact that it's entirely mechanical well i know this so the modern ones have silicon chips in the background doing certain things that i don't understand but yeah that tactile impression of um the flippers knocking things into other things and having a chain reaction it's like screwball scramble that little home game if anyone remembers that yeah um absolutely fantastic tactility to it i had um just on that tangent crossfire i don't know if you ever saw that as well which was this yeah it's a little board gamey style thing but it's uh about three foot by a foot long i guess and each person at the other end has a little gun that fires ball bearings and you got to fire them at another ball bearing that's encased in a little plastic circle so it acts as a hockey puck and you have to knock that puck into the other person's goal at the other end uh really simple but so tactile it was really good fun and it's another game like that sorry um Oh, what was it? You had castles and you had little men that you put on, um, I guess, not flippers, but if you hit, a, so you had a, a crossbow which fired projectiles and then if you hit a door of the castle turrets, the men would like flip off the top. I just, crossfire reminded me of that. I'm going to Google it whilst, sorry, I've jumped in and just trampled <laughs> no, that's cool. what you were saying. <laughs> it brought back another childhood memory. I think a lot of that kind of stuff is the only kind of video game equivalent really are the the old Sega cabs and some of the Namco ones that threw you around um, and some of them edged on gimmickry, but some of them were genuinely good. And I loved um, Afterburner and Space Harrier particularly for that kind of thing. That tactile feedback uh, was fantastic. Yeah. And I remember but, going yeah. in a, uh, an Afterburner cabinet that was the had like – almost like a simulator it would spin you around and stuff like that as you was playing that was uh, probably not as impressive as my mind remembers it but yeah it proper tried to throw you around as you was moving and it had all the hydraulics and everything that was yeah just amazing when i was younger yeah. the game that i was thinking of as a youth was um crossbows and catapults which i should have really mm. got from the fact that you have a giant crossbow <laughs> <laughs> the biggest issue i've ever had with pinball um and it's really weird. I remember we, we, my mum would take me to the arcade. I played the pinball there and it was great. And one birthday, I think it was, she got me a pinball table for at home, one of those crappy little battery-operated ones. And that is probably the most disappointing gadget I've ever had. Really? I, I, even those, I kind of think, oh, they're quite cool. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because they're retro and simple, but yeah. I don't think I got a good one. I think I got literally probably one you'd find someone sitting out at the back of a lorry on the market with a cardboard base and yeah i think loads of us would love a real pinball machine and then see how long it took before the neighbors called the police because of the noise that it generated interesting. a couple of times and then just realized that how <laughs> impractical <laughs> it is impractical and also obviously you've got to have probably a high level of engineering skills to maintain it but yeah the cost itself is just so prohibitive yeah it's it, although it's by the way my dream setups is um i've the one arcade cabinet i've always wanted is a four-player daytona um and then a pinball table so god show what you've been playing yeah so the first one is beautiful desolation which is a 
again from a couple of guys from South Africa. They kickstarted it about three years ago. So it has taken that form out of time right up to the wire to get it out and ready for the public, which is fair enough because it's just two of them working on it. And it's a, like an adventure game in a isometric viewpoint where you control a little guy wandering around and working out what's going on in the world. And the world setting is, I won't get into too much detail, but it's a uh, kind of futuristic setting that you've been thrust into in the manner of that game I am not going to remember the name of. So the guy <laughs> the guy who wrote Ex Machina, uh, what's he called? You're thinking of Alex Garland? Alex Garland, that's him. What was that game that he did where it's the future where everything's overrun so it looks really pretty? Looks a bit like The Last of Us, but it was before The Last of Us. Oh, Enslaved. Enslaved. That's yes, what I was Odyssey thinking. to the West. That was absolutely outstanding, that game. Right. I'm very underappreciated. Cool. Right. So think about Enslaved and The Last of Us of that kind of future world where everything's gone to pot, but it's become beautiful because it's become overrun and the technology that's left around is rusted and ancient but quite beautiful uh the game itself i've played for about an hour and a half and at the moment on a personal level i'm really not enjoying it i'm going to give it some more time but it really is just at the moment walk to point a get told something that can be interesting you know the law of the land and stuff the rules of the place and the history of the of the world that you're now living in which seems to be hundreds of years you know, in, in your future and the creatures, the people, and the robots and cyborgs you meet are very intriguing. And it uses a really good dialogue system that seems to be a, a mix of regular English, of South African slang, and Afrikaans, which is based on uh, Dutch, the Dutch language. So that's interesting. But from a gameplay perspective, all you're kind of doing is going and getting told one bit, told to pick up a part, go and get that part, go to another part of the map, drop that part, get told you need another part and then repeat. And that's, that's literally, it's, it's very, very pretty. Mm. Uh, but that's literally all that's happening at the moment. There's no, there's no puzzles. I didn't expect combat. Wasn't coming into it for that. It was, I was coming into it for good story and the, the story does seem to be good, but yeah, the, there's actually no game at this point really. So I, I'm going to give it more time, but at the moment it's, it's disappointing me a bit. And this is a full release, isn't it? It's not early access yeah. or anything like that. See, that, that's that's really strange because this is through the guys who done Stasis, which I found absolutely enthralling throughout. I thought the gameplay loop in it was really good. It's even though it was point and click in nature, this one it had it felt more of a game than a lot of other point and clicks do. Um, it just felt really good. So to hear that the team that was behind that haven't quite managed to get the gameplay loop right in this is it's, it's a shame to hear, actually. Well, it's purely my personal perspective, yeah. and it could well be wrong um, because I'm quite slow picking these things up. So like, as it's not normally my wheelhouse, I tend to kind of prod into every corner, and that slows everything down quite significantly. And there may be a kind of min-maxi way of doing it where you understand what's required of you much more quickly and you go through the plot beats uh, more quickly. You probably, you know, zoom through that sort of stuff and engage with what of the core gameplay loop was. 
for me, I'm, I feel excluded from a core gameplay loop at the moment. It's literally just collecting things that are very obviously signposted and then putting them into another obviously signposted place. So fingers crossed it'll develop from that. Bit of how far in are you, did you say that, like in terms of hours? About an hour and a half. So I've got you a... Could still be within the introductory sub-phase then. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's just opened up the map and I've been to a few areas of the map in the transport that you're given. and. At each one, there are locked out parts to it. So it's like, oh, cool, yeah, I'm not ready for that bit yet. And then go to, you know, explore other bits. But it may just be this not for me. But we'll see. I'm going to persevere, and I'll I'll come back in following weeks and say how I felt. Fair enough. I know you've been playing something else as well. We'll come back to that. But I just quickly want to touch on two of the smaller titles um, I've been playing over the past week before I get to my main one. Um, one is Voxel Grab. Um, and it's basically 3D pit cross. If you like pit cross, then it's absolutely outstanding. If you ever played pit cross 3D or pit cross 3D round two on the uh, 3DS, then it's basically a budget version of that, but not a budget version in a bad way. It is. It's got 170 puzzles that get more and more complicated as you go. But I absolutely love logic games especially pit cross it's my second favorite behind sliver link and on pit cross games i can't talk about it this week because i think the show goes out before the embargo is up but i've also been playing murder by numbers which is a visual novel merged with a pit cross to make something pretty unique but i'll talk about that next week and the other smaller title i've been playing is mx nitro unleashed which i got it came out of absolutely nowhere um, and I thought it was going to be a trash tier shovelware cash-in that was trying to be like Trials um, HD, Trials Evolution. Um, but what I got was a 2D motocross stunt racing game that is absolutely joyful to play. It's available for less than a tenner. And yeah, it's one of those great things that when you get a game come out of absolutely nowhere and it presses all the right buttons... That does it. Now that's MX Nitro Unleashed. I recommend picking that up if you have a Switch, a PS4, or an Xbox. But yes, yeah, Joe, so you've been playing Bloodstained as well. I have. So that was another Kickstarter, although I didn't go in on that one. Um, bit of background, it's by Koji Igarashi, who was the guy who took over as like the creative director and designer of, of the Castlevania franchise. Um, he was involved in Symphony, and Symphony of the Night, which is the, the one everyone holds up as the the apex. But he also did like Circle of the Moon and Aria of Sorrow um, on the, the handhelds. Uh, and yeah, it, it got successfully kickstarted and it's become a bit of a phenomenon. And it's on PC Game Pass and Xbox Game Pass as well, I think. And I just love it. I Well, loved it because I've completed it now. Absolutely fantastic from start to finish for me. So what what i found with the older games the only thing that i would have sort of complained about a little bit like maybe got a little bit stale was the fact that like you're constantly picking stuff up because it's essentially an old school platform game so you're constantly getting collectibles and some of that stuff you'll go into your inventory you'll you'll equip it you'll go yeah that bumps my stats up a little bit okay i'll i'll do that um, and then some stuff, you got this list of like 500 items that are just fit for the bin because they've been superseded. And that's like the equivalent of technical debt. You don't want it hanging around. It's just pointless. And it it smacks of a little bit of redundant design as well. So in Bloodstained, what's really great is every item that you get has a purpose. They're either 
they're all functional, but not everything is essential. Some is, but items are either they're useful on their own basis or they're useful in combination with another item or as an ingredient or a component, or they're useful when buffed by another item. Uh, or the, at the very worst, they can be disassembled for sale. But most of the time, you won't even need to do that. So like, for example, you'll get you know seeds and you can grow those seeds and then you can use those for food or there'll be a component in something else. And nothing feels like it's wasted. And what that means is when you, because it's a Metroidvania and your exploration is the thing and you're going back through old areas quite frequently, it means killing things rather than avoiding them and therefore, you know, engaging in the action part of the game. It actually has a point. So it's worth killing things over and over again because they have different drops and there's a lot of variety with those. And and whatever they give you is going to have use in some way or another. So you constantly feel like, you're doing something that there's a point to doing and that there's fun in doing that as well. Other than that, it's like the best Metroidvanias really. Well, they cut, they also call them Igervanias because of the guy Koji Igarashi. Um, you know, it, it's got all of those great points. So lovely design, brilliant enemies. Uh, the visuals are so, so in my opinion, but it's kickstarted game. You can't expect too much. Um, but you know, the, the level design and the sound effects and the, the enemies are all excellent, as you'd expect from the designer of the best Castlevania games. And it really, I really can't, um, I really can't recommend it enough. Everybody in the world has probably played it by now who had any interest in it. But if you're one of the 0.2% who haven't, then I highly recommend uh, playing Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Ben, are you one of the 0.2%? I actually looked at it in the last PS4 sale and didn't buy it so yes i haven't played it <laughs> although i have been playing a game with a tiny bit of a metroidvania element to it uh, just briefly so after titanfall 2 which is spectacularly brilliant i um finally got around to starting star wars jedi falling order fallen order even and it's okay it's yeah it's a bit of a shame I, uh, coming off titanfall 2 which is just so fast-paced and so solid um it's slightly disappointing that uh, while uh, fallen order is a good game it's incredibly frustrating in parts and full of quite a bit of jank and yeah just i, I think review said on release towards the end of last year that it was kind of unfinished and needed another six months of development but it whoa 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 this is an EA title we're talking about. They are bastions of quality, I'll have you know. But yeah, so it is disappointing. And I think it's it that's amplified by the fact that now the game is, what, six months or five months old. And it we're on, I think it's I've got version 1.07. And it doesn't feel particularly robust. Like, you know, obviously some games release and then within a couple of weeks, a couple of even a month or so, they're much more solid. Any problems that they had at launch are ironed out. But yeah, I've I've, I've read that the the team are already working on a sequel. So whether it's just a kind of oh we got that out there, it's it's actually sold very well. So we're kind of if people are happy enough to keep playing it, then we'll just move on to the next one. But yeah, hopefully the sequel will be a bit more polished and you know a few quality of life improvements. Um, but the gameplay yeah. itself, yeah, it, it's fine. Um, I think I. I've never really played a Souls game. Um, so, yeah, I've struggled a bit with the parrying, but I've it's not as in-depth or certainly as punishing as a what I'm led to believe a Souls game might be. 
um, and you can kind of fumble through it on the on the regular difficulty setting. But yeah, on the whole, it's probably one of those games you'd put you know seven out of ten. But say off the back of Titanfall two, which Respawn obviously made and is is so so good, it was yeah a bit of a come down. Um, but anyway, I've I've also been playing and been absolutely enamoured with, and it's a game I've been waiting for for quite a long time to hit consoles. But Two Point Hospital. Now I know uh, I think Ben, you said you've never played Theme Hospital. Uh, generally, sim management style games. The only one I really played was Sim City, and that usually involved me just putting the cheat code for unlimited money and building a town, and then getting bored after about ten minutes. Stu, have you played Theme Hospital? I have not. No, I've never. I've played almost no uh, sim constructy management type games in my life, really. But you're aware of what Theme Hospital is and Theme Park and all those sort of games. Yeah. It's almost like an alien concept, I suppose, to us in the UK. But obviously, in America, running a hospital, it's a business. Um, so the idea with theme hospital is you build a hospital. What you've also got to do is make sure you're balancing the books. Um, and there's a lovely humour in the game as well. So you've got like one of the early um, issues you get is called Mockstar. And that's people come into your hospital and they believe they are um, like an 80s rock star. And they all look like um, Freddie Mercury. So you have to send them to go and see a psychiatrist who basically talks to them and then they stop looking like Freddie Mercury and go back to themselves. And that's the kind of humour you get. So what's really good, instead of going with that gallows humour and having actual diseases and illnesses, which would be a bit morbid, it's just, it takes, gives them all fun illnesses and diseases. They can still die from them, but it's 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 a lot more lighthearted. With Two Point Hospital, um, I've just found it really, really relaxing um yeah it's essentially it's by the people who made theme hospital but under their now indie studio of two point games and it feels like the sequel i've wanted for so long but with a crap ton of quality of life improvements to it um i don't think i I, it's gonna sell it to people who haven't played it so like ben i don't think all of a sudden you're gonna see this and decide that yeah this is for you but it is, for those who like these sort of games, it is absolutely spectacular. And I believe it is on Xbox Game Pass as well. Uh, but yeah, it's absolutely superb. Um, there'll be obviously a review by the time you listen to this. There's a review on the site. Um, and I gush about that game a lot. <laughs> what we're going to talk about today is money and the effect it has on mental health now for me i've never been in a position where i've had money and a lot of my issues when it comes to mental health come through not being able to do certain things or worrying can i put food on the table can i afford rent this month at the same time money is very contradictory in the some like it doesn't automatically stop people getting depression or getting anxiety. Have either of you guys got had any issues where you feel money has been the root of or could be the solution to any of um any of the issues you have or have come across? Different people have different emotional attachments to money. And I'll be honest, that's something I've never really had. Like I've whether it's because I you know, I, I grew up in a two bedroom flat but in quite a nice part of London. I wouldn't say that I've always had money, but it's never really been a, a an issue in a sense. It's not impeded me or really been a motivator even. Um, and I think this day and age, 
it's more and more apparent that money just it simply doesn't insulate people from problems anxiety self-esteem they won't really be helped by having more money um, despite what many people might think um, yes it can alleviate specific stresses like you mentioned you know being having to food on the table um, you know those kind of day-to-day worries but it's not a cure for stress on the whole yeah my own ambitions and when it comes to my mental health i don't want to be rich um i don't want to sit on piles of money um all i want and for me personally is i want to be at that level where again it's just a case of i haven't got to worry about where the meal's coming from or i'll say whether i can pay my rent so i you know and i that I think is, is is where everyone should be, where you can just comfortably comfortably get through life um, on that side of it. And then, you know, I'm not saying that's going to eliminate, I say, any kind of mental health problems you have, but if it allows you to then focus on being able to deal with the issues you do have and not have to worry about those other things, I, I think that becomes a lot better for being able to focus on what you need to do to improve yourself don't think um, i think if you've got an inherent like i i'm naturally anxious i think if i had yeah. more money i'd still be naturally anxious that's not going to fix it i just think it's yeah i don't i do get what you're saying like you, you have money more money to put food on the table and whatnot like i said it's it's going to alleviate those stresses but you'll find other ones oh yeah no definitely 100 percent um but I think what is really interesting is it does come from um, there are almost three different levels of money obsession. Um, so you've obviously got the ultra rich who obsess over money because they, they, they've got some money, but they want all the money um, and they want more of it, more of it, more of it. You've got the, the poor who want money because they see what the ultra rich have. Um, and so they obsess over getting money, but for very different reasons. But they said you've got people, a lot of people who are then in the middle where they're never going to be rich, but they're okay enough. They're never going to be, you know, poverty stricken at the same time. And it, you can, I think you can hear the difference in attitudes between me and yourself when it comes to money. Um, and no way am I saying that my opinion on it's right, yours is wrong, and the same as you're not going, well, I'm right, you're wrong. But it does just go to show, I think sometimes the way we look at money does really come from the association we have with it. Um, and I mean, I've not earned an income for a year, but it hasn't really changed my perspective. <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, I, it's not going to change. Like, I've been in a position where I've earned a tax-free a salary mm. for a while, you know, that's that's finished but i went through a divorce in that period and had my lowest mental state like money yeah fuck all to do with that like it didn't solve it it didn't fix it no again as i say it's a lot of the issues i have you know when i was getting bullied at school that money wasn't going to fix that um i was a target for whatever reason and having money wasn't going to change that money isn't going to change the the issues i have with self-loathing but yeah it's, it's it's always a weird one there's so many different ways people approach 
money. It is entirely situational, isn't it? I mean, one thing we haven't talked about is is gambling. And, uh, you know, for some people, that's a, a huge thing that's both tied into mental health um, and also tied into the amount of money you have in your pocket and whether you should be spending that. And it's almost, in a way, encapsulates uh, how traditional capitalism wants you to to behave. It's like, um, make sure you acquire enough so that you can just fritter it away in whichever way you want. Um, and that's the capitalist stance. Whereas for an individual, it's like very often they're in a desperate state mentally and their only release or relief is by is by gambling with that slim hope that it will transform their life. Um, and yeah, again, that's sort of tied to both the individual and how they uh, bec- can become addicted to something and also the prominence that money's given when really you should be able to have the attitude of, you know, like Ben said, you know, to me personally, money is not that important and not have society judge you for it. Mm. In terms of the mental health discussion, it shows that there isn't a a one answer fits all way to, to fix things or to answer things. It's like you say, it's entirely, it's entirely situational, isn't it? And you, you two guys have got a different situation and I have too. And, and also talking about gambling, which yeah, just to say, I'm not a gambler. It's just, I've talked to people in the past who, you know, it, it always surprised me when it came up, you know, cause I never think of it. And it's just one of those things. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. That would just, de- that, that could wipe out everything you have in minutes. And it was just something that I never thought about. And then people would talk to me about the impact it had on their life. And I'd be like, I, I, do you know, I never even thought about it. And um, yeah, it just goes to show, like you say, how situational it is. Yeah, as I say, we haven't come up with any answers uh, in this discussion. But again, that, that discussion doesn't need to come up with answers. But that's not what we're here for. It's hopefully just showing, again, it's okay to talk about these things, um, regardless of your opinion. Um, the gambling side of it, actually, I think that's a really good overall discussion to have another day. It's, uh, I mean, again, I don't gamble. But I don't gamble because I know I've got an addictive nature and I hate to imagine where I would go with that. But yeah, that's a discussion for another day. So unless, guys, you got anything else to add to this one? Not from my side. No, nothing more, I think. Excellent. So obviously we'll wrap up as usual. Um, If you like what you listen to, you find it helpful in any way, please do share where you can, subscribe where possible, like it where possible. We'll be back next week. I've been Bradley. I've been joined by Ben and Stu. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.